Hi there, you're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. We are back. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. And now, up next, I'm joined with, uh, I'm joined by Amanda Catherine, who's received her BA in psychology from the University of San Francisco. And she has worked as a research assistant at the University of California, San Francisco Hospital. And she is pursuing other interests uh, as well. We're going to chat. Okay. Hi, Amanda. Hi. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks so much for calling in. Um, we met, actually, uh, last year at an improv class at UCB. Yes. Which was so much fun. It was. It was a great class. And we had connected on Facebook towards the end of last year, and your posts kind of struck a chord. We were, you know, the theme of the show is get the funk out, and man, who hasn't been in a funk? Um, sure. Let's talk a little bit about that, um, maybe what inspired you to post that. Definitely. Um, so, you know, I think something that was interesting to me at the time was I, I ran across that data that, uh, for me, the winter is always very difficult. Mm -hmm. I, I Weather affects me a lot. And so I had always kind of believed that people did commit suicide around the holidays. And that, uh, I'm studying psychology. I was interested in it. So I was looking up information, and I actually found out that it wasn't true, that wow. springtime was the time where we had the highest suicide rates. And so I was rather curious about that and began researching it. And uh, I began to think about, um, in there I talk a little bit about the link between antidepressants mm -hmm. and suicide risk, mm -hmm. which is when you solve the physiological issues associated with depression, sometimes you provide people with enough energy and motivation to take, you know, potentially lethal action, but you haven't resolved the psychological issues. And right. I thought of weather being similar to that. Like spring, you know, is finally you can get up, but yes. the malaise of whatever has hit you in the winter may still occur. And so, um, and I was reminded of my friend uh, from college who actually uh, passed away, committed suicide a number of years ago uh, in the springtime. And so that was sort of like what was on my mind and also this realization that if that's the case, there are probably a lot of people suffering right now over the holidays. Yes. Um, and now would be the time to reach them. It's very interesting because I uh, lost a friend actually December 29th, four years ago. And I would think it would be the holidays because it's a very, you know, crazy time. Sometimes you're not getting along with family or you don't have a relationship or you don't have a job. And so it's surprising that spring is big. You know, yeah, you know, it is surprising. I, I find there's a lot of stuff that we come to accept as truth, and then when we begin to <laughs> research it, it's not true. But actually, um, there's a, for me, as I mentioned, you know, winter is hard. Mm -hmm. There's a reason I live in Los Angeles. Uh, the sun is very important to me. Yes. Um, not to mention all the emotional things that we attach to the holidays. So it definitely seemed like that made sense. But, um so, but it actually led to a more interesting pursuit to kind of figure out why that might not be the case and what it is specifically about spring and, uh, you know, kind of taking that, like, scientific yes. uh, theory route of, like, what, what would be that cause. Now, you have a very interesting background. What made you decide to study psychology? Um, well, I first, the first time I ever really thought I wanted to was uh, in my freshman year at Tulane University. I, I started school at Tulane, um, and I took an intensive general psychology course there, uh, mm -hmm. but with the provost of the, of the university, and he was fabulous, and I realized in that semester 
that I had always been interested in psychology, but I finally had a name for it. It was like, mm-hmm. I was always very interested in people and human behavior and why we do the things we do. Um, very interested in theory, but also in science, the brain, things like that. So sure. um, I finished school at University of San Francisco, and I studied psychology there. And I took a break for a while uh, professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, psychology is one of the only fields I know where youth is a handicap. No one really wants to really? <laughs> divulge their problems to a young oh, kid, that's true. you know? Right, you're right. So it's, yeah. uh, from a clinical standpoint, um, it's one of those careers that can wait sometimes. So I was interested in fashion, and so I, I moved to New York and, mm-hmm. and worked in the fashion industry for a while. But um, ultimately, I came back to psychology because I never really left it in my heart. It was still what I was interested in when I worked in the business world. Um, and I recognized that I really wanted to make more of an impact. Uh, I needed to feel like what I was doing every day mattered. Right. I couldn't just kind of squeeze in some time a week to get that that level of connectedness to humanity. And, you know, I love my job. So anyhow, I came back uh, and began graduate school here in Los Angeles um, about a year ago. Well, New York is a pretty stressful place. I've lived there growing up. And uh, so it sounds like L.A. was more your thing on many levels. You know, levels. I love New York. My um, mom still lives in Manhattan. and mm-hmm. um, But, yes, you're right. It's... Uh, it was a very chaotic environment, and I am a very sensitive person. So mm-hmm. I think in some ways I felt very saturated all the time. Um, right. And uh, working, there's nothing necessarily inherent in the fashion industry about stress with your body, but I think we've all come to understand that there is a lot of that that's kind of mixed it, and including your own personal, you know, a lot of people who maybe are more concerned with the aesthetic wind up in the fashion industry, so it's not just the industry's fault, but anyhow, uh, I was suffering from an eating disorder. I had I, um, I had anorexia since I was in high school, so oh um, New York and the fashion industry and everything was just too much, so yeah. part of my journey to being where I am today was I, I, I needed to leave that environment and sort of connect with something at a slower pace that, yes. that yes. really gave me a more uh, defined reason that I enjoyed my life. And we had talked about this because uh, we met at UCB. I found that, uh, well, you've been an actress probably a lot longer than I have, but it's very cathartic to, to study improv and just let yourself be out there and not, you know, be so critical. Yeah, definitely. You know, that was the most interesting thing to me about um, my own history and my own path to recovery was there are a lot of things that they they arm you with uh, when you have issues going on in your life that have a very clear connection to whatever is going on, you know, depression or mm-hmm. uh, substance abuse or eating disorders or whatever it is going on with individuals. But I found what got me uh, reengaged with my life and kept me enjoying my life kind of gave me a reason to not want to slip back into things mm-hmm. was stuff like improv. Um, That's great. And uh, even the notion of not spending that much time in your head, that you kind of have oh, to follow yeah. your first instinct, yes. I found that generalized into my life a lot more. So I really, uh, I stopped feeling like I needed to know all the answers before things because I had this experience of doing improv where I didn't need any of the answers yes. to build something. No, yeah. I, I love that. And actually, there was a student I met um, in that class, Joey. Remember Joey? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Joey told me about an improv group here in Orange County, and I've been taking classes um, at the in, at this theater, the um, Spectacles Theater, and I just went Friday, and I hadn't been in a while, and it's like going to therapy. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's like, you know, because you, you hesitate for a brief moment, and you go, who cares? Just get up there, and you don't have to prepare anything. They're just going to throw out a word to you, and you have to create a scene with a total stranger and whatever, you know? Yeah. It it truly is, um, and and I think that part of what I've taken from that into now my professional life, is, um, my focus is on child studies, so I, I do want to work with children and adolescents, but um, I want sort of from a, a different vantage, which is I want to work in preventative mental health. I want to kind of... That's great. What makes people, you know, what keeps people resilient, Mm -hmm. what protects people from developing different illnesses in their life, and then integrate that into their life very young, so that life's inevitable traumas occur, children are more adept adept to to find a different way, you know, a more adaptive means of pivoting. Yes. So, and improv is one of those things where, um, what a great thing to cultivate that notion of not being very self-conscious, and... Uh, not being all that attached to whatever comes out, it, being in the moment and in the process. Right. So I see it has so many practical applications for mental health, even though it, it really is you know, still just having fun or acting or whatever. It depends on how seriously you take it, I guess. Well, and the other thing I'm finding, too, is it's really, uh, it doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, there are all different ages uh, in the group I'm in, and... You know, I as you go through life, you beat yourself up. People will say things to you, you take it personally, and you continue to beat yourself up. But it's becoming resilient in life and realizing, and I've kind of realized this the past few years, unfortunately, but realizing that to stop internalizing all this stuff that people are throwing at you. O- only, like, you can make yourself feel bad. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it's true. It's one thing I will say is it's funny, in times in my life where I've heard, you know, like, only you can make yourself feel bad, yeah. I've taken that very personally, as if, yeah. like, I somehow chose to be unhappy. And oh, I think no. it's a delicate balance, because yes. there are definitely life circumstances. We're not meant to be happy all the time. That's, like, right. sadness and all, there's a whole spectrum of emotions, and that was a big lesson for me, is that Nothing was wrong with me when I was sad, mm-hmm. or nothing was wrong with me for feeling negative emotions, uh, and it wasn't something I needed to get through to get to the other side. Okay. But, um, but that said, there are a lot of, at the end of the day, like it's about responsibility and self-efficacy and knowing that you have some element of control in your life, that you're not going to be able to always control the circumstances, but you can right. control how you react. Yes. Or things like that. Yes. And so in that, there is there is much more of an element of um, finding what makes you happy, finding what solves your, uh, you know, cures what ails you, and then, like, chasing it uh, and, you know, hopefully being blessed with the um, capacity to do so. Yes. No, I like that a lot. That's so true. And it's it's interesting because, you know, you just go through so much. I mean, the theme of the show is get the funk out. And sometimes you, it's like you said, it's okay to be sad because sometimes going through that tough time, that funk, will help you find the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I still catch myself um, thinking, uh, what's wrong with me? 
when I'm feeling bad. But then I, I notice when I'm feeling happy, I think, like, what's going to go wrong? It's, <laughs> there's always uh, the camera's always skewed on something's going to go wrong or it's just barely not going to go wrong. Yes. Um, and that really cut off my perspective of the whole field of things going right and things right. feeling, you know, nothing needing to be changed, uh, not operating from this stance of uh, concern. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I try to be as kind to myself um, in those moments where I'm not feeling as good as I try to be pretty, uh, to not let myself be taken out of moments when I feel well. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think there are actually a lot of very positive moments that we have in our life. But we're so, many of us are so geared towards something not bad happening, that it's yes. hard for us to stay in that yes. positive positive place. It's like we go to worrying that the positive thing is going to end. Yes. Do you ever find yourself thinking, oh, if I could give advice to my 14-year-old self? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think so. Uh, I will say that... Um, and it probably depends on the day or time of my life, whether or not I say, you know, I wouldn't have changed anything. Like, right. uh, for me, having regret is a sign of being self-reflective. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that I can decide if having regrets uh, impacts me negatively or it just helps me learn from my life. So there are things that I would tell myself, like, um, everything that, people want you to be kind of in high school yes. is not adaptive when you're older. It's like oh, yeah. aloof, you know, not excited about anything, mm -hmm. uh, defiant, um, like all of these judgments at, that we put at uh, such a supreme level when we're adolescents. Yes. Like those are the worst things to have as adults. I noticed when I was in my mid-20s, my sister... She she wasn't extraordinarily popular in high school, but I saw that it allowed her to retain this enthusiasm for things mm -hmm. that kind of in high school it would have been like, oh, that's dorky, you know, like yeah. calm down. <laughs> um, but then she she's five years older than me, and she would be so excited about things, and I couldn't relate to that level of excitement. Yeah. And I kind of felt like a topiary that had been over-groomed. Mm -hmm. It was like I couldn't access that anymore. Um, and so those kinds of things, really relearning how to allow myself to, to feel good and be excited and not be concerned with what people think. Right. I, I think I would have reassured myself, although I probably wouldn't have listened either, but uh, that like, it gets better. <laughs> it sure does. It's, yeah. It's a tough thing growing up. I mean, it's not it's not easy, you know. We, there's so many things you go through in the different cliques at school and just how you feel about yourself and your interactions. It's not, no one said it's easy. Yeah. It's interesting because I've, I think a lot about childhood and adolescence in terms of how it impacts us and, um, and also how we look back on adolescence and childhood. And I think as an adult, there are so many things that we have to deal with that kids and adolescents don't have to deal with. We have to pay our bills. Yeah. Uh, you know, most children and adolescents, and of course there are some who do, but most are not worrying about a paycheck or how to pay the bills or these things that become our crushing worries as mm -hmm. adults. Mm -hmm. And so we, 
we begin to believe it's easy to be a kid or an adolescent. Like, I think there's kind of the rose, rose-colored glasses of right. um, idealization from, yes. from afar where we're like, oh, you don't have to worry about this kind of stuff. You know, you live in my home. I give you everything. Your life must be very easy. Right. Um, and, uh, and I think we kind of forget how difficult it can be to be a kid and mm-hmm. an adolescent. And that if that much rapid change was occurring in our lives as adults, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. Oh, no like, way. <laughs> your body is changing all the time. Your hormones are changing. Yes. Your peer groups are changing. Someone's your best friend one day, and then a week later, they're your enemy. It's mm-hmm. like this kind of battleground that takes a a lot of resilience. I mean, there's a reason why kids are so adaptable, and it's because there's just so much thrown at them right. and constant change. But I try to remember when I work with kids that just because they're not worrying about mortgage payments doesn't mean they don't have a lot of things on their mind that carry as much weight as an adult concerns about finances and their love life and right. stuff like that. And some get an enormous amount of pressure from their parents to be straight-A students and go, 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 do, 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 and, you know, too many, I personally think too much. Yeah, well, it's, it, it makes sense to me in the context of a capitalist society and, you know, production being highly valued, mm-hmm. and uh, if something doesn't really lead to anything that produces or consumes, mm-hmm. um, we don't really value it very much. It, it's not, it's not as highly valued in our culture. Uh, I know my parents, you know, they, they, of course, everybody's parents tries to do the best they can, but they were very concerned with, like, what kind of job was I going to have where I could make enough money? Right. Um, and, act, you know, back to acting, I, I grew up acting, and I really wanted to go to school for it. And, frankly, I'm glad now that I didn't, but that's not to say I would have been sad if I did or mm-hmm. uh, unhappy with my past, but... Um, they would always say, you know, it's so hard, you need to do something else. Uh, you like to act, you should be a lawyer, things <laughs> like that. Um, and uh, and it, it occurred to me then when I was a teenager, like, the world is going to tell me my dreams are impossible and I can't yeah. do the things that I want to do. Like, That's just awful. please let my parents not tell me that, you know? Yes. I think sometimes when, when they're, like, trying to protect, and trying to lead you towards the best decision, it can come across as, we don't think you will make it either, or we don't see you being successful in that area. We don't have faith that you're going to follow your dream and be okay. And how Um, great for your self-esteem is that? I mean, Yeah, exactly. And it's so implicit, and it's so accidental, usually on the part of the parents, but it definitely has a profound effect on okay, well, you know, if I don't get my first choice, because I'm probably not good enough for that, mm-hmm. what do I get to do? It's not a, a wonderful headspace to be working with. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Do you ha- have advice for people that are going through a funk this time of year? I mean, we're we're just January, but, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, so much. <laughs> I think um, we all have such unique lives, uh, and yet at the same time, we all have so much in common. And mm-hmm. um, I think something I can take from my own experience is uh, that every, life is an ebb and flow, and even when it's very difficult, uh, 
it does get much better. But I think something that I've understood in the last few years is I never even knew what better looked like. To me, I had an idea of what better could be, but I, I hadn't felt the depth and richness of what life could be. And I began to feel that more at 28. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, for example, I'm in a, a relationship right now, and, and my partner, it's like he's the most wonderful person I've ever met. I wasn't very romantic before, and mm-hmm. I really I thought, you know, um, romance and love was an illness from which most people usually recovered. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of good <laughs> examples. And then, like, in my life comes this person where it's like, I was wrong, and yes. I was wrong for a very long time. Like, yeah. And I didn't know what it even looked like or felt like until I had it, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad that there was a part of me that believed better was possible. And yeah. I think that that's great. We need to hold on to that part always that tells us when it's difficult that better is possible. And perhaps we don't even know what it looks like yet. But if we just kind of keep moving forward and mm-hmm. reach out to other people, I would never have done anything in my life if it weren't for the people that surround me and support me. It, you know, I think reaching out, it always seems hard. We talked about how things like social media, it seems like everybody's life is going perfectly. Yes. Um, everyone's doing, achieving their milestones on time, except for you, like mm-hmm. all of these kinds of things. Right. And it's, it's we, we connect so much better under vulnerable circumstances. It's so funny. We, we don't want to show vulnerability in some sense, but, but we connect so much better. And I think many people would be surprised by how well-received a phone call is, even if you haven't spoken with someone in a long time. No, uh, right. especially if it's one for support. Um, you know, like, that's what we all are here for. We're, we're all kind of here to help each other. And, and so my, my greatest advice is it gets better and let other people show you the way. And you know what, I also, just to add on to that, I, I think you should pick up the phone, like you said, and not text and email because you need to hear somebody's voice. Yeah, you know, you're I right on. I totally feel that way. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, my friends have a lot of dating issues, and they begin to tell me what happened, and it often starts with a text exchange. They'll say, well, we were yes. talking, and I'm like, were you talking or texting? Yeah. Because there's so much that we get from conversation that uh, has, you know, diction, vocabulary. It's not cutting it. It's right. like tone, and uh, you can really connect with someone in a very different way. Yeah, there's no emotion in a text. At least you yeah. can, you can uh, misinterpret the emotion, that's for sure. Yeah, and I'm in this great age bracket where I still remember what it was like to be super excited when somebody called at the house. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's like, that's not gone. In fact, it, we're more accessible, but we don't use that in the same way. So yes. a lot of times I'm tempted to text somebody, and then I, I think to myself, you know, why don't I just call them? Like, What's the worst that could happen? I have a two-minute, you know, if I don't have a lot of time, I just have a two-minute conversation with them. Exactly. But that's all. It's, these, are, these are people in my life, not, you know, it's not like a job interview. Mm-hmm. I can pick up the phone and, and chat for a moment. So, oh, I love it. Yeah, I, love I like it. that advice. Well, I want to thank you so much for calling in. If people wanted to just contact you, maybe send an email or find you on Facebook, do you want to throw out that info? Sure. Um, my email is Amanda Creasy at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. My last name is C-R-E-A-S-E-Y. Um, and yeah, if anybody has any questions, 
um, or anything they'd like to share, I would be happy to receive it. Great. And I uh, record all my shows. It'll, I'll put this up in my blog within a couple hours, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Okay. Thank you so Wonderful. much. And I hope to see you, you again, Jean. whether it's UCB, Groundlings, or whatever, a cup of coffee. Yeah, <laughs> me too. All right. That sounds wonderful. All right. Have a great day. You too. Talk Bye-bye. To you Bye-bye. That was Amanda Catherine, Amanda Creasy, calling in. And if you missed any part of today's Get the Funk Out show, uh, like I said, it'll be up on my blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org, within a couple hours. And uh, up next, Sheldon Abbott with Cure for the Blues, and I will be back here next Monday. If you want to find out about being a guest on Get the Funk Out, just send me an email to Janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at KUCI.org. Have a great day. Dimawar, 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 